Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show, and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by Tim McEwen, the former coordinator of Australia's uh, eminent comic book awards, the Ledger Awards, and co-creator of Greener Pastures. Tim, welcome to Graphic Nature. Thanks very much for being here. My pleasure. What what got you into into comics? Like was it reading? Like when you when you were a kid? Like what was the what do you remember seeing uh, that that in, inspired you or, or created your love of comics? Oh man, I don't know. Comics got me into comics. Uh, you know, I, I, I can r- remember my uh, the earliest memory I have of comics is I've already got comics, so I, I can't even remember getting them for the first time. I, I, I think I must have already been at school. I'm sure um, school age. In fact, I could probably look it up because uh, the memory I have is of Newton Comics. If you don't know what Newton Comics uh, were, they were um, licensed Australian black and white reprints of Marvel Comics. And I had a stack of like a half dozen of those, a stack, a half a dozen is barely a stack, but I had a stack of a half a dozen of those. And I can remember sitting uh, on the floor with this stack of comics. And in my mind already, that was my collection. I like that was, I knew this was the collection of comics that I had. So it was already a thing at that stage. And I can't remember any earlier than that. I can't remember where they came from or how I got them or whatever, but that was an awesome little stack of, you know, Jack Kirby, Stanley Avengers and, and stuff like that. And I, I guess at some point I was hooked from that point on. Uh, and definitely for superhero comics, because I can remember at one point, I can remember getting my adenoids taken out in the hospital and my mum bringing me comics. And I'm going, what is this Donald Duck, Bugs Bunny shit? Where are my superheroes? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it, I, was, I was pretty narrow, narrow-minded already. <laughs> I'm pretty early on like that, yeah. And so, like, as a kid, were you were you already actively kind of creating your own or... 
you know, where you're filling out exercise books with different types of characters with special powers. And I, I don't know that I really was. Oh man, again, I'd have to, I'd have to see if I could pull out the the drawings. I've still got the drawings somewhere, but they're buried in a garage. Um, and again, that that was pretty early. But I was, I was trying to draw and document. Um, the the comics that I already had, so yeah, I was right. I was drawing the characters that I that that I, were, I was reading, and I was documenting who they were, and I was redrawing or, or not redrawing, I was drawing my own covers for each of the comics. So I would look at the cover that you know Jack Kirby had drawn, and said to myself, "No, I can draw a better cover than that. I don't like that one." <laughs> <laughs> and I would, so I would draw a, a, an image that that I think to myself well, that would be a good cover for the comic so i was doing that a lot i guess i don't know 10 and, and younger i must have been younger than 10 because star wars came out when i was 10 and i was already fully into comics prior to that so i don't know i guess somewhere between five and ten i was doing this that's such that's that's awesome well, that's uh that's a great rich history of creating <laughs> comics from, from, you know, sub 10 years old. I don't uh, think I, I hear... Yeah. Co- comic images. I, and, so yeah. I'm just looking up. Yeah. My, th- those, those Avengers comics that I got uh, from Newton comics were published in Australia in 1975. So I must've been y- younger than eight uh, when I got them or around, sorry, around eight when I got them. So at that stage, that's when I was fully into comics and those flipping Newton comics, which had like a trading card or a full color poster in the center, pin, like a pin up, a pull out pin up, um, they're all worth money now. And um, no, see, that's always the shit thing, isn't it? Because you always get to the, it always happens that <laughs> that the ones that you have are worth bubkis. And uh, oh, only because of what I did to them. Oh, we we okay. can talk about that if you want to. Well, I, I don't mind. Look, let's be honest. I imagine every kid who who was reading comics when they were a kid just absolutely destroyed them because the damn things were so awesome that they loved them to death. I know I've got the first, yeah. the first comics that I read or that I bought as a kid, I've still got, and they are absolutely destroyed. Like I poured yeah. through them over and over and over and over again. And, um, As I, it should be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, no, totally as it should be. <laughs> I can tell you, it was the last 10 issues of the tra- the original Marvel Transformers comics. And I remember that, that, that when I, when I saw we... them, go on, go on. Oh, do we really care that they're ruined? <laughs> oh, you're a harsh man. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, I, re- I remember, like, you know, up until then, I'd been reading things like Garfield and, and Phantom in those, like, small collections by Ashton Scholastic. And, you know, f- flipping through those books and just loving Garfield and, and reading, you know, any kind of comics that I could get to, un- unbeknownst to me that I was going to have an affinity for the, for the medium for the rest of my life. But it wasn't until going into the newsagent one day and seeing those Transformer comics because Transformers, like as a cartoon, blew me the hell away. And mm. there was a huge separation between seeing the cartoon as a kid and then going into a newsagent as a as an older kid and seeing them on the stands. And that actually that just it changed my life. I couldn't believe it. I remember begging and pleading 
with my, you know, immigrant parents going, I just, what are you doing? What are you, you know, looking at that shit. And it's just like, oh, can I just have like two bucks? I just want two bucks. I just want to buy this comic book. And um, I, it blew me away. I loved him. It was just incredible, mm. incredible. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, I'm sure that many kids or many people who, you know, read comics these days or my age anyway, or our age, walking into a comic shop, a direct store for the first time is just huge. It's just huge. Yeah. Uh, that was, that, that was quite a uh, is, oh, re- revelation, I guess, when, when I discovered the land beyond beyond in uh, Sydney, that was the first comic shop I ever discovered. Mm-hmm. And it was really, I, I don't know if you, if you'd ever been there, it's gone now, it's gone, been gone for years, but um, it was this, uh, it, it, nowadays you'd consider it to be quite like a, an indie kind of um, you know alternative kind of comic shop uh, which was pretty brave back then to hope that, that the shop was going to pay for itself with so little in the way of mainstream stuff but it was it was uh, it was not a shop front it was you had to go in this door on it was on George Street, which mm-hmm. is the main street here in Sydney. But you had to go in this door and down this corridor that had nothing else, no other doors coming off of it, to another door at the end. So this long corridor with that just kind of joined the street to another door. And then you'd walk in and it was kind of, kind of dimly lit, I guess, but a one big room and it was full of comics and you're going, Oh boy, what is this? Why did I not know about this? Mm. And the fact that it was, in fact, you know, I've never thought of this. And this is part of, I guess, living in Australia as well, uh, maybe. But it, th- that might have helped my kind of desire to, to read weirder stuff and less mainstream stuff. I've always read mainstream stuff. And definitely up until that point, I was reading mainstream superhero, Marvel, DC kind of stuff. But walking to a place like that and have and having like a rich history too, like I was picking up copies of... Oh, what was it called? Not preview. Um, Jim Starenko's magazine, news, newspaper tabloid magazine on on pop culture and comics and movies and stuff. I was picking yeah, right. up old copies of that, which had Starenko covers and and, and you know uh, fanographic stuff and and other kind of you know j- just just outside mainstream stuff. So it was a really cool kind of introduction to all of that. So yeah, that was I can remember. It was it was a really cool shop. I can remember walking in there once and seeing a guy walking out carrying a portfolio, uh, and 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 just you know going oh that's an artist uh, and and God knows how subtle or non, not not subtle I was you know looking at the name on the portfolio as he walked by to try to see who that was and it was Jason Paulos and of course I don't think I knew who that was then but the name stuck in my head um, so Jason must have been trying to sell. Uh, hear about the hippo comics there at, at that point yeah right the, the day that i was there and so yeah really cool little shop um we all kind of mourned it when when it was closed unfortunately yeah it's uh one of my all-time favorite artists uh is uh, marshall rogers and a lot of people know marshall rogers from his run on batman with steve Englehart. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also did a run on uh dr strange with steve Englehart, and he did i am coyote and the foozle Mr. Miracle, a whole bunch of, of different stuff, always kind of just a little bit left of field. Uh, his storytelling was amazing. I really loved his stuff. And he did a two-issue run in Marvel's Bizarre Adventures, w- which was their adult comic, black and white, 
they were able to push the boundaries more. And he did uh, two issues of that, a two-part story with Chris Claremont called The Daughters of the Dragon, which wow. was Power Man and Iron Fist's girlfriends, Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. Oh, yep. So, you know, Miss, Misty had a bionic arm and Colleen was, uh, you know, a karate person or whatever. And so they, they pushed the adult version of that a little bit further and, uh, and the violence was a little bit uh, more explicit and the sexuality was a bit more explicit. But the storytelling and the artwork he inked himself and it was with grey tones, you know, washes and all sorts of stuff. It was amazing, amazing stuff. And then years and years later, I'm talking to this original art collector, Roy Burgoyne, who lives in Perth. Uh, so one time when I'm in, in Perth and, and he said, come to my house and I'll show you my, my original art collection. I'm looking at his original art collection. He's got the original splash page from, from the first uh, of those two parts. He's got the original art going, oh my God, this is incredible. And it was, <laughs> it was amazing to hold that. And Marshall had, had passed away by this stage as well. So it was it kind of, it meant a lot to be able to hold that piece of artwork and have a look at it. And you could see all these tiny figures that he'd drawn and decided not to bother inking. And, you know, all, you, you get an insight and it was really amazing to hold it. I said, where did you get this? He said, oh, the land beyond beyond. I'm going, what? He said, yeah, it was a bargain. It was like 20 bucks or something. Oh. I'm going, are you kidding? I, I don't know if it was 20 bucks, but it was like something that I probably could have afforded <laughs> even at that time of my life. I'm going, oh my God, I walked into that shop so many times and never bothered to look if there was i can't even remember there ever being original art he bought two amazing pieces there oh, but, but who who oh, thinks man, of, it who, was right yeah. there who, who, right. you know who thinks of that stuff like you know it's only now in the last 10 years where i'm seriously considering looking for some original art and like if you look through some of the some of the trade uh websites on online it's you know, you can buy you can buy some really good stuff for like three hundred bucks, and that might seem expensive. But when you're talking about buying someone's original artwork, three hundred yeah, bucks right. is is fuck all compared to some of the prices yeah. of um some of the stuff that's out there. And it's just yeah, and 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 getting you know, and because because Marshall's artwork is probably not all that sought after, you might still be able to find some of it and and get some if it. Yeah, yeah but not the not the pieces I'd want. <laughs> are you are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, I've I, yeah, I've had a look around, and and anyway, that's like a rabbit hole. I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to become an original art collector because that is just like it's too expensive. Oh, yeah, I'm, no, but I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying become a collector. For me, when I'm thinking about original art, it's got to be from an artist that I really really admire, and I only need one or two pieces. Like I don't have that many walls. Exactly. And, and it's, why would you buy original art? You know, unless you're looking at it for, from an investment perspective, you, you know, you buy, you buy the, the, what, you know, you buy a piece of art from a comic that blew your mind. It doesn't necessarily have to yeah, be one exactly. of the majors, you know, I've always, that was, that's yeah. been my kind of fantasy for a while now is shelling out, you know, I'm prepared to pay a thousand bucks or more if I need to, like I wouldn't, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to spend like 10 grand because I just think that's ludicrous. But just yeah, a, a small... I can't even do that. I can't. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, you're right. You know, there was one point I was going, should I or shouldn't I? And I thought I'd test the waters and I bought um, two pages of George Perez because um, I really love George Perez. And right. I actually got two pages. They're pretty cool, which I could actually afford. I, I don't, I, I'm not a very wealthy person. I don't make much money. And my wife, you know, it's not like we're, we're wealthy people. And I thought, oh, I'll try this. And I bought two pieces, one from 
um, his older Avengers run and one for his his most recent Avengers run. And that was pretty cool to have, but I, I don't know that I need to, to have much more than that. As I said, I've got a couple of Perez pages. Well, I've actually got um, a, a number of, of pages from Gary Chaloner and like that they are uh, absolutely incredible to look at in the flesh they're amazing they're beautiful i think i'll, I'll probably just leave it at that I'm, I'm i'm satisfied that i can pick up a couple of pieces of original art like that out of my drawer and feel it and look at it and go i'm breathing on it and so did george perez and so did <laughs> gary challoner and uh, and that's uh, that'll do me um, it's going to be a long time before i start spending money um any more than that i bought uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I bought an original piece of bruce mutard's and uh, it's called the Planet of Sound, and uh, it was for Triple R, the radio station here in Melbourne that I that I work for, and it was their their grid, right? So their programming grid of all the shows, and I, I didn't know Bruce very well at the time, and uh, I said, "Hey, Bruce, I saw you did some artwork for Triple R years ago, and um, I, I really loved it. And I was just wondering if you kept any of your artwork from you know back in the in the nineties." He's like, "Yeah," he goes, "I kept it all. He goes, I've got it all." And uh, and I bought it, and it's now sitting above my desk at work. But it's just it again. It's one of those things of of just seeing that you know, seeing the actual art. Like you can see the grooves where he's used different types of pens, <laughs> yeah. and you know the you know, the scribbles down the side of the page where he was trying to get the pen to work, and you know things like that. And just that, <laughs> yeah. that you know they never feature in in anything other than the original artwork. And it's just like I I still marvel at it. Like I look at it and. I'd much rather just see it on the wall, even if it is just the one piece of something that you know means something. Yeah, got a um, I've got a collection of of sketchbooks which kind of stalled in collecting at the moment, but every convention or any event where there was going to be comic book people, I would bring a, a sketchbook and ask artists to draw in it and writers to draw or write in it, et cetera. And I've been doing, or I had been doing that since 1992 and I've got 47 of these sketchbooks. And, Holy shit. Uh, so it's, it's like well over a thousand pages of, of this kind of stuff. And, and like, that's the thing that actually really, uh, it means a lot to me there, there's, there's history there because it was done at an event. I'd met the artist, you know, all, almost every single time. There's only been a couple of times where at a convention I've gone to pick up a sketchbook because they, Tim McEwen's sketchbook became a thing <laughs> or at least became known uh, at conventions for a while. And I'd drop it off at somebody, an artist alley, and I'd come back an hour later because I'd had to go and do something and, and they say, oh, no, I, I passed that on after I'd finished. I thought you wouldn't mind. Of course, didn't mind at all. And I'd spend, <laughs> you know, uh, half an hour, an hour going along Artist Alley, talking to artists, creators, buying books, etc. but also saying, have you seen my sketchbook? <laughs> and they go up with, with a sketchbook with <laughs> sketches in it. They're, they have a real sentimental value to me. And people who know me and know of the books kind of say, oh, it's Tim's... In, um, uh, uh, retirement package in those books because you'll sell them all when it's time to retire. Would you? But there's no way. Would I'd, you? No, there's no way I'd sell them. Ninety percent of the the work in there must be Australian artists because I would bring these sketchbooks to all of the Australian conventions that I'd go to yeah. and, and fill them up with those kind of things. But um, I've been to a couple of overseas conventions as well and got a couple of 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 my you know absolute favourites in there as well. Um, 
So yeah, they're, no, they're too important to me to sell. I'd never sell them. Well, yeah, I think that, that's always been the case for me is, you know, when people talk about, you know, value in, in comic books or sketches or artwork and that kind of stuff, I've always struggled with the idea of parting with some of that stuff because some of my, my most treasured books and some of my most treasured art is the stuff that I want to keep. And, and it just so happens that that's the stuff that's got the value on it. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I don't want to sell that shit because that's, that's mine. And, you know, I went through hell to get an original sketch by, by J. Scott Campbell. And I was a huge fan of, of, Ooh, yeah. of his art. I went to San Diego in 2007 for the convention then and he had a stall there and I'd have to turn up there super early like we'd be out drinking the night before and I'd get up super early to get in line to get a damn drawing and it was like this is the one thing that I want that I'm not leaving here without and the Sunday I'm in line and I'm counting I'm going alright one, one, two, three, four look at this twelve the guy that's handing out the tickets stops and gives the last one to the guy in front of me and, no. and and I, I screamed I said dude are you serious I've been trying for four days and he's like oh, alright alright so he gave, me, he gave me a ticket okay. it was like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory man it was driving me crazy <laughs> and um, you know he said alright well you've did got did you to... pull the Australia card did you say I've come all the way from Australia I, I reckon I would have and, and so I got the ticket and um, it was basically you got a ticket and you got a time he said you got to come back at this time and um, he'll ask you which one to draw, and he'll draw it for you, which is great. And getting that, getting that, that piece from J. Scott Campbell, I was stoked. I got it framed. I got the frame done by yep, yep. you know, the whole bit. It was like, <laughs> I'm not messing around, man. I went through hell to get that thing. And again, you know, I come back to, I, I don't want to sell that. That It's one of my favorite yeah. things that I have, one of my favorite possessions. If, if there's ever an issue with the house, you know, I grab my daughter and I grab that. And that's what I'm running out of the house with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly you know so it's <laughs> <Priorities>. it's <laughs> yeah so I, I i see the value in it but again i'm i'm not going to spend 14 g's on you know a piece of artwork of my favorite artist i just i look at that and go 14 grand that's a car that's a deposit yeah, exactly. on on something it's a good investment on something else it's like if i had millions of dollars i have no problem with it uh, absolutely had, and that's the problem it's yeah. all it's all of the uh really wealthy uh, people who, who are our age now, who, you know, are doctors, lawyers, um, uh, you know, people who work in the stock market who are still in the comics, they're the ones who have made everything so expensive because they can't afford it and the prices continue to go up, et cetera, et cetera. So what about uh, the artist editions that uh, IDW have been putting out? Is that a good replacement? Have you bought any of those? No, I haven't. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, you know, like they're great to look at and they're great for a rep, like a reference point. And even like as a tool for someone who really loves that, let's say that comic or, or that, that, um, that artist or that writer, you buy those things and you know, you, you, you can see what the artist has done to those, you know, how, how it's come about. You can see all the mistakes, you see all that, all, all that kind of stuff is great. And I love looking at that stuff. But again, um, the outlay of it, you know, I'm not really getting the enjoyment out of it. Whereas reading, you know, it's like a four dollar comic. I can read it and go, "Wow, that was cool." But then I buy the artist edition for I don't know, however, hundred bucks or two, three hundred bucks, whatever it is, and I flip through it, and then it goes it goes on my shelf because because you know I've read the comic, and you know um, I don't, I don't know, man, I don't know. I'm probably not explaining it very well either, but it's just it's a strange thing for me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I actually, I've got quite a few 
um, of those artist editions, and I think they're incredible. And um, to, to marvel, I mean, really, to marvel over something like Barry Windsor Smith's Red Nails at the size that they printed on the crappy paper that they printed on, and then have somebody release a, a, a 100% uh, sized reproduction um, that shows the actual artwork and things like, as you say, the corrections and, and all of that stuff, the yellowing of the paper and mm -hmm. the white out on top, etc. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a huge education. And, uh, and I would, yes, if I was going to invert the commas, read the comic, then I'd probably just read the comic. But if I was to read the comic, then I would go and sit with the, with the artist edition of that for like hours and hours afterwards and just pour over it, and look, look at it all. Reproductions are amazing. The, you know, the quality of the, of the, of the reproduction, the quality of the paper, all of that stuff is incredible. So, so yeah, heroes. I'm, I'm actually just, just looking through the um, Michael William Kaluta starstruck one as we're speaking um, because the subjects come up and I only just bought it um, and got it on sale. Most of the shit that I buy that's, expensive uh i wait till it's on sale before i can buy them but um well a lot of a lot of what i've said about those artist editions is is to uh trick myself into <laughs> not buying them i the first time i ever saw an original piece of art it blew my mind seeing how much correction there was you know mm. there were you know pieces of pieces extra pieces of paper on top and white out everywhere yeah. and and you know how where where there's been some hardcore pressing by the artist you know you know the paper's basically caved in um and torn to shreds and you just and just looking at going who who like my it, my mind expanded at that point going at, you know like at once it all made sense but it exploded you know the way that I would think <laughs> about how you yeah. how you would put a comic like seeing that seeing original art in that form i think was the first time i thought i could actually do this like yeah, i could right. do this that was the first yeah. like you know not looking not being inspired by the comic books you know you know obviously being inspired going man i love them you know i would love to do them but you know i can't draw and i can't write and you know all the all the crazy things that people say to themselves to not be able to do something but it was seeing the seeing how many mistakes a professional makes on on a piece of paper <laughs> yeah. is what made me go, hey, you know what? You know, this is within reach. It's not something that's out of this world that I may never be able to do. You know, mm. all these guys make mistakes too. It's the same uh, as you know when I first got into radio. It was the, seeing professionals fuck up is what made me go, hey, I can really do this. Because if they're messing up and they've been doing it for years, that means I can do it too. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. What made you, like, what was the, was there an inciting moment that said, hey, you know what? You should do this. Yeah. No, I can't remember, like, <laughs> a particular moment. It's like, it's like I was saying with my collection. It was like, it was there and this is, this is the natural way of things. And I think it was the same with drawing comics. It, like, well, what else am I going to do? Um, <laughs> this is... This is my chosen art form of expression, I guess. And like, I never can't, just always wanted to do it. Always wanted to do it. It's the, it, 
and it, it's if if I ever kind of go, oh man, should I even be bothering? Like, what what's this all about, and wh- why am I doing it? It's like all I have to do is remember that there was never a time where where I can remember not wanting to do it. Then mm-hmm. I go, well, no, this is this is just me. <laughs> Might as well just keep going. There's that that is that is all there is to it, I guess. Um, well, that does be- that make sense? Yeah, I but that, of- but but it begs the question of. Okay, so you you you've always wanted to do this. It's it's part of your part of your life essence. But how the hell did you survive? Because comics don't make any money. Oh, because I didn't do it for for money. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for love. Yeah, no, I get that. But uh, like, how does that how does I, that relate to uh, you know? Was it dead end jobs? You know, and then that fed I into worked life? in a dead end career. Yeah, <laughs> I studied my. My my dad wanted me to be a dental mechanic because there was going to be money in that, and there still um, is. And have you seen what those guys charge? He, <laughs> yeah, he he was an accountant, so you you can see that that's like the complete opposite end of the spectrum as far as being an artist is concerned, being a an accountant. Um, and so he was just going, well, what? How's he going to make a living? So we we ended up where I studied graphic design because it looked like that's probably a real job uh, and it seems to be art related. So I guess that's what Tim will have to do. I never enjoyed it. I never really enjoyed being a graphic designer because it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I've had two jobs my entire adult life that I really enjoyed. Uh, And one of them was the the nearly four years I spent working on Happy Feet 2, Um, especially the storyboarding part of that because I worked on storyboards. I worked on uh, in, in the art department doing concept art and production design. And I also still in the art department worked with the, the, the tail end marketing kind of stuff, liaising with uh, marketing people for, you know, toys that they were going to make, et cetera. Yep. But the, the, like the most incredible job was, was to do the storyboards, to get a script and then visualize what I think the movie should look like was, was so enjoyable and was an amazing privilege as well. Like, so that's probably the, the best job I ever had. It's the most I ever got paid as well. Um, <laughs> um, so that was actually, uh, it, was, it was very well, um, well paid for some strange reason. Everybody was kind of going, we never get paid this much. This is amazing. Why are we all getting paid so much uh, on this job? How long did that project um, go for? Uh, well, I was there for nearly three, nearly four years. It was like three and a half years wow. I was on that project. But I came on when there was like, I don't know, a dozen people, maybe 18 people working on it. Uh, and I stayed until the very end when they sent everybody else home uh, practically. And I was still there because I was helping out with the marketing stuff. So it was, it's, I mean, that's ironic, right? Because my parents are going, oh, you know, he needs a real job. How is he going to survive? And I, I never stayed in any of those real jobs for more than two years. Do I even have one for two years? I think it might be more like a year because I never enjoyed any of them. And, and then here's the, the, the career where you're supposed to be changing um, projects every six months and having to get a new contract and always chasing the next piece of work, et cetera. And I was, that's the longest I've ever worked for anybody ever. So I was extremely lucky to, to get that job and really so happy to, to work there for that time. And the other job I had, which I really enjoyed, which was just drawing all day, but also involved 
digital work, you know, computers, etc., and also involved some design to a certain extent, was working at a poker machine company. Uh, and I did that wow. for a year as well. And, and that was amazing because we just sat and drew from like 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. all day, every day. And like, well, thanks, pay me for that. But that was the, that was the worst pay I'd ever gotten in my life. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was, I was an adult with, with a couple of kids and a mortgage. And, you know, so it's not like I was, I was 18 or whatever. Mm. It's the worst pay I ever got in my life. And I was getting paid double what everybody else in the art room was getting paid because I said, I can't do this job for this kind of money. And they said, well, how about this? And later on, I found out it was double what everybody else was getting. Um, and it was still the worst pay I ever got. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, additionally, like working for a poker machine company is, is morally one of the worst things I think you can ever do. So um, <laughs> regardless of the fact that no judgment, <laughs> no judgment. Oh, no, you should. That, you should judge. That's terrible that I worked there for a whole year. Well, hey, um, again, it's it's opportunity, right? If you're 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 looking for work, you've got you've got mouths to feed, some, and a house to pay off. Sometimes you don't have the option. Right. Yeah. Well. So yeah, I was kind of glad that I stopped working there. In the end, it it it's a morally awful place to be. So. Yeah. Then there's the other thing, right? Which is anytime I've been given the opportunity to do freelance work and it's actually comics, uh, I I just couldn't put my heart into it. It was, it was really, it was always really hard. It was always like pulling teeth. Um, So there's, I guess that that part of it as well, which is unless it's my project and I'm invested in it, uh, you know, creatively uh, it's, is such a lot of work to make comics and to make them well that I just, I, I found it really hard to, to, to do that to the point now where if, if, if it's a commercial exercise, I probably won't take on a, a comics job. I, I will do illustration work and um, I'll do commissions and things like that. But unless I get, can get excited about it, it's just like, no, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. It's, it's a really weird thing. You'd think anytime somebody would, would give you a, you know, a job, but you know, it's, it's usually somebody who doesn't have the right budget or um, doesn't, doesn't know how to write comics. Um, you know, so they're, they're kind of writing something that doesn't actually work as comics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. While on the other hand, I'll sit here for days and days drawing greener pastures, knowing that I'll barely never see any money out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but but I suppose that's a, that's a little different, though. I teach drawing to animation students and um, storyboarding and, and comic books as well. Uh, I love teaching it. Um, that, that's really the only way I make money at the moment is, is I teach a, a couple of days a week. And does, so, is, yeah, go ahead. Do you, do you see... Storyboard artist, educator... <laughs> Uh, how much? How much of the uh, when you're when you're teaching and you're looking at some of these kids? Do any of them bring comics? Like, do any of them think in that way? Yeah, and it's funny because so many of them, almost all of them, are too timid to really kind of talk to you about their work in that way. And then I get to like third trimester where I'm teaching comics, and they and they say, yeah. So when I did a comic for my HSC major work, I'm going, what? Why have you never shown me? your hsc comic right like it's crazy this is exactly what i want to look at um and just for those so for out there that don't know it's the what is it the high the high 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 school certificate there we go 
yeah so that your, your final exams etc mm-hmm. um in high school so yeah their major work for their art subject uh, to do a comic a comic story not, not just some comic art but like a, a whole story mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty big ask i reckon for a 17 or 18 year old um oh, to, to write and draw a, a full comic I'm, I'm over 40 and i and i crumble at the thought <laughs> of putting something together <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah anyway so um and then when they 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 pull it out i go this is amazing um i've had i've had a so when i teach comics i try to i I obviously teach what it's like to work on a page but i but i teach them the infinite canvas and the infinite scroll and all of that stuff as well Uh, and a few of them really love the infinite scrolling idea because this is how they absorb comics themselves on the internet and a few times i've gotten uh uh, work from students who are who are doing like an infinite scrolling page so Mm -hmm. that there's no like actual segments and the storytelling is amazing and they they take into account the whole idea of the of the infinite scroll as part of the storytelling not not just you know it's not like just stacking one page on top of the other they're actually going well if this is going to continue to scroll how's the best way to lay this out and Mm -hmm. how will that work etc so there's definitely times where um i'm looking at artwork going wow this is really cool what this what this person's doing here um it's always it's always great fun i can imagine and and seeing and seeing young minds coming up with new ways or new interpretations of of things that have been, you know, been around for, you know, what is it, over over a century now. I imagine that's pretty pretty far out. Particularly if you see someone who's who's really gifted or who just comes up with something quite amazing, and you go, "Wow, I've never seen that before." Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can dream. I can dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and don't get me wrong, Tim. I I have I have put my hand to uh, to putting a comic together. I just, you know. Yeah, I, I've, have I ever seen it? Has it ever been published? Did no, you publish it? No, 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 no. I, I've 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 only gotten so far as the layout stage, and I've got I think uh, I've got, and I've been sitting on that now for a few years, and I open the I open up the the layout pad and I look at it and and uh, look at the story <laughs> every once in a while and I go, hmm, that looks really good. I should get around to finishing that one day. <laughs> Um, you really should yeah but it's you'll it's, never get it, i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and we we're talking about how how you know you i'm incredibly megalomaniacal when it comes to my own work and and i i don't want to put that kind of bullshit onto anybody else and so i've got the story i've written the layer and i've come to the decision that one day i will draw it myself mainly mm-hmm. as a mainly as a challenge but also as as uh, you know, I want to be able to look at it and go, I actually produced it. Whether it gets published or not at this sure. stage, it doesn't matter. But it's more about I wrote it, I plotted it, I've mapped it out, I've laid it, laid it out, sorry, and I've drawn it. And you know, it's only what 10, 12 pages, but you know, that takes a long time to do. And sure enough, if I didn't yeah. spend you know all my time editing <laughs> podcasts, you know, I might have the time to do it, but. But you know, I feel like this is more important than than me looking at an empty page and and crumbling with dread, uh, pencil in hand. So um, I'll I'll leave that one day. Yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day. But uh, at the moment, you know, it, it's it, it. I just find it incredibly uh, amazing. Like 
you know, speaking w- with you and with everyone that I have so far, and just in general over the over the years, you know, speaking to you know comic enthusiasts and 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 um, educators and stuff like that, just how you know the how the whole process works. And I love reading about it. And I love talking to people about it. It's the one thing that that intrigues me so much about the medium is just how it gets put together, and then you see this final product and. And I do literally love every single stage of it. You can show me, you know, you can show me napkin drawings and I'll go, wow, that looks really cool. <laughs> you know, um, I, I can't, it's, it's now become uh, so much of what I love. And I may not even read that much anymore, but I, I still love it. Like I can't get away from it. And now I'm talking about it all the time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I totally get it. Um, and, you know, and it's just so exciting to talk to someone about this kind of shit because it's very rare that you get to have this type of conversation with people. That isn't it weird? Comic comics yeah. are like that, mate. It's it's really weird. You you just you either you either in or you're out. And when you're in, it's like you're totally in. You can't can't help it. You can't stop thinking about it. You, you you're always relaying stuff out in your head, or I don't know what. But you know, it's like. It's just one of those things. There was a great, I think it was like a six panel um, cartoon once, uh, you know, comic strip once um, that I saw. <laughs> it was like the repeated image of the cartoonist um, and the and the thought bubble above his head, which was comics, comics, comics uh, in, in every kind of aspect of his daily life. <laughs> like he's, he's buttering toast, but he's thinking about comics and he's, you know, he's driving his car, but he's thinking about comics and it's like, the day I saw that, I, I really should have kept it. I don't, I don't know where, I, I don't know if you'd even be able to find it online anymore. Oh, the day I saw that, I was going, man, that is me. It's like there was nothing else in my head if it wasn't for having to be an adult and real life and shit. <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's <laughs> probably. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that's the hardest part is is you know never having developed you know mentally from that. 12 year old kid that saw transformers for the first time in the in the stands of the news agent that was pretty much like a sliding doors moment you know i was gwyneth paltrow and transformers was the fucking train and um it just so you happens either got on the train or you didn't. <laughs> yeah and uh you know i fucking bought that comic book and um the rest is history and so i look at it and, and don't get me wrong like you know i i I've tried to nut out my type of fandom and I'm sure that there are other people out there that are like me. I'm not necessarily all that picky, particularly as I've gotten older. I've gotten less and less picky with the stuff that I'm looking at because uh, from, let's say, from the perspective of someone who's, who's tried to put something together themselves, I'm now looking at from the zine to the fold-out comic to the commercial grade to the graphic novel, I'm looking at all this stuff and my brain is always working out or trying to figure out how they've done it, what they've done. You know, the difference between art styles, you know, as a, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure I've said this before. I, I, I used to look at some stuff in absolute disdain because it was, it didn't fit a particular model of what I liked when it came to comics. And again, Mm. um, whether it's evolution or I've gotten over it or whatever it is, I'm now looking at things a lot differently and I've been able to shift my view on a lot of stuff. And so now it's, now it's like, well, that art looks kind of scratchy. I'm not a big fan of it, but I'm, you know, I'm not so eager to, 
to write it off and because there might be something in it and i've come across some amazing stuff because of that uh you know and i rem- you know i remember the 90s when it was really easy to hate on a lot of things but nowadays it's just you know it, everything can be a comic and you know i even i love i love telling people who sit there and go oh you know fuck oh you're still reading comics fucking hell <laughs> and you just go dude when was the what was the last thing that you you installed in your home Oh, you know, and I built a I built a uh, a couch last week. Bought it from IKEA. I said, "You read a comic? That's what make. That's how you. That's how you yeah. built that damn thing. You moron. You know, it's <laughs> the, you know. You look at any car manual. What have they got? They got illustrations and 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 they got words that accompany those illustrations. It's it's effectively a comic book. That's what you're reading. It's showing you something using a visual language. Oh, and you go, come on." <laughs> Yeah, luckily, I feel like we don't have to have that conversation too much anymore. Um, no, we and still read comics. <laughs> uh, feels feels like uh, most people have come to terms with the fact that, that maybe there's some uh, in, intelligent and maturely created work that's worth reading. So, I, hopefully, yeah. you know, we don't have to have that conversation. And I, I think that viewpoint has changed surreptitiously because of certain uh it's it's mainly just the way that we've can start consuming pop culture or culture as it would be because it's a generational thing as well yeah yeah definitely i mean i, you know, I still know, marvel the, at, at was it you know seeing old japanese men reading uh manga as it were and and uh and just going hey why can't you know what the hell's wrong with us why can't we do that why, why do old people hear uh you know <laughs> look at comic books in yeah you know in such a disdainful way or, you know even in the time i've been teaching uh storyboards and comics uh, i found that that when i get to that part of of uh, of the curriculum where i have to explain comics aren't just superheroes i don't have to actually even do that anymore they're all fine with it they all understand it that and and that's what what i mean when i say it. i think it's a generational thing i think the younger younger people are, are totally on board with it uh and and don't they think they're cool. They understand that that superheroes are the major part of it, but that's not all there is. So yeah, there's a there's a much better understanding of you know what comics can be, the potential there. I don't have to teach them that bit anymore. So I, I was really happy that the trimester where I went, you know what? I, why am I telling you this? You guys know this already, right? And they're all going, yeah, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> we can get onto the next thing and not worry about that. <laughs> Um, so yeah it's it's happened i think i think it's happened you're listening to graphic nature we'll return right after this short message hey thanks for listening hope you're enjoying the show please jump on facebook and like us as well as following us on twitter and instagram you can find all the details on the website graphicnature.media thanks very much how did uh, how did greener pastures come about cool that's a great question i love that question um so, so just to to clarify, it's it's me and Michael, Michael Michelandos. Mm-hmm. Uh, we create greener pastures together, uh, and I just saw Michael came over. We were doing some greener pastury things here at my place, which was great. To, so we don't see each other that much, but um, um, so yeah, it was it was really great to see Mike. Did you tell him that you were getting um, interviewed for greener pastures? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> we were we were too busy. Do another yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. you, you, were, you were in the creative zone. Exactly. Yeah. That was a very uh, important kind of get together.
So I've known Michael for a really long time. Uh, and that was one of the things uh, once uh, Michael went home, Anne-Marie, my wife, was, we were discussing it. I can't even remember the year, but it was, I met Michael uh, at the comic convention that was put on at the Sydney Opera House in the mid to late 80s. And I th- I'm pretty sure I was, I was pretty sure we were both in our last year of, of high school. So it was, I'm pretty sure it was the, the Christmas holidays, the summer holidays after we'd finished um, high school. And we just happened to sit next to each other at a panel. We were probably sitting there watching Will Eisner or Jim Steranko talk uh, and kind of struck up a bit of a friendship. So we kind of, we, we, we struck up a friendship. We, we, we did a couple of, of small, small comic stories together, but there was a point where, uh, when Michael, we, we both went into tertiary education. Michael went to study at the University of Western Sydney. Uh, and I went to study at what was then called Nepean College. And Michael contacted me and said, they've told me that they, they'll take a, a comic strip for the newspaper here at, at UNSW, sorry, UNSW. The paper there was called Paranka. He said, they, they'll, they'll, they want a comic strip. Will you do it for me? I'll write it. You draw it. I said, yeah, let's do that. And Michael, being the writer, you know, he was trying to come up with the idea. What, 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 uh, what, what strip will we do? What will it be about? And it had to be kind of appropriate for the university newspaper, as in, you know, it should be aimed at that, at the people at university and mm-hmm. it should have a sense of humor and maybe be satirical, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that Michael came up with was, was, and he admits this himself, was pretty derivative, really that, that interesting or, or original I don't really want to do that. He's going, I don't really want to do it either. What are we going to come up with? And we were racking that. And at about the same time, I and, and my then girlfriend, now wife, went on a farm holiday to Quirindai in, in country New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a, a house in the middle of a farm. Uh, and one day the farmer came up in his four-wheel drive and we all got into this, his four-wheel drive. Um, you know, we, I was there with other friends and he just took us around the farm and was telling us about, what the farm is, what he does there. And he was pointing to the cows and there's the cows. And I said, well, what are they doing? He said, well, they're just sitting there. They're doing nothing. <laughs> they're Hang doing on. what is cows that do. All they do? He said, That's right. <laughs> he said, he said, I said, but is that all they do? He said, well, in the afternoon, they go and sleep under that tree instead. That's about it. Oh, okay. And it was at that point that the first, the first strip at that and what turned into the first, I think, like half dozen pages of the comic book when we did the comic book, like just came to me fully kind of, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like one of those times where you just see the whole thing in your head where one of the, the cows, or in this case, a bull gets up on its hind legs and knocks on the farmer's door and says, is, is there more to life than this? There's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> so I said, Michael, I don't know sounds pretty stupid but is this is this something worth pursuing i told him what i just told you and he said that's it and it was i've still got the, the still got the printout somewhere because this is way back in the day i don't know that there's even an email i think it was just a printout that he gave me of really what is still the entire story of green pastures of trevor bovis and from beginning to end all the way to the end said this is the story <laughs> wow that's let's do that so we started off as the comic strip the Tharanka. we did 
I think 12 or 13 episodes for Veronica. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he graduated and therefore couldn't contribute to the paper anymore. And we both kind of went into full-time jobs. And there was a point where we both actually went overseas together for, we were only together for a, a month or two. Uh, and then he went off and um, traveled by himself with his girlfriend and I traveled off with my girlfriend. And there was a point during that where I'm going, you know, that comic strip, we should redo that as a comic book. And I wrote him a letter. I said, we should do that. We should restart it as a comic book. And he said, yeah, I've been thinking the exact same thing. So when we both got back from overseas, that's what we did. We started from scratch again, from the beginning of the story uh, and published Greener Pastures as a comic book. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what we're doing now, because that was in the 90s, <laughs> all that time ago, uh, what we're doing now with the new Greener Pastures is we're still following that initial concept that, that you know, Michael extrapolated from the story that I told him. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still still telling that story and you know the interesting thing is there were there was a period in between 19 whatever it was 98 when we published our last issue of greener pastures and about 10 years ago or five years ago whatever it was five years ago where i i would ring up mike and i'd say oh let's let's keep doing greener pastures you've written issue eight and i you know i thought i might actually draw it and he'd go ah oh, i don't really have the time to to help out with it at the moment and i'd go oh, okay and then you know a year or so later year or two later he'd ring me and he'd say let's let's get back on the on the comics bandwagon i go i can't mike i've got too much on and <laughs> this seesaw thing happened a little bit and there was a point where where it was my turn to say let's do it and he said you know what trevor at college at university and his you know his young adult mates it's that's not who i am anymore i don't think i can write that it was at that point where I went, oh, you, you're right. That's it. We're done. I should stop asking you. You should stop asking me. And it was at that point where I thought we'd probably never do greener pastures again. Yeah, right. Because that sounded like the reasonable right way to think. Mm -hmm. And then it was a little while later that a, a, a comic or a creator called Martin Wagner, not Matt Wagner, yep. they always get mixed up, Martin <laughs> Wagner, yeah. who was part of the, the black and white boom, he was doing a comic called Hepcats, which I think is an amazing comic. Yeah, I remember Hepcats. Yeah, it's a it's a great book. It really is. Um, uh, it's a shame that he didn't continue the storyline. He, he ended the book on a an amazing cliffhanger in this extended storyline. So anyway, we'll never get that. But <laughs> what he did do, <laughs> what he did do at one point was he did a mini comic. Um, I don't know, ten page mini comic, something like that, twelve mm -hmm. pages. And and I've never read it, but I was reading about it and he said what i'm doing is it's been 10 years or 15 or whatever it was since the last issue of hepcats and i'm just like let's look at what the characters are doing now right no explanation no ex extended context to that and i said to mike i can re i can remember this conversation we were standing in the middle of a supernova in the middle of like artist alley or you know, one of the, the avenues in you know on the on the exhibition floor mm -hmm. with a bunch of other people just talking about stuff uh, and I said, you know, blah, 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 Hepcats, mini comic, uh, where they're at now. I said, I don't know. Is that, is that a viable idea? And he kind of, his head tilted back just a little bit and his eyes like looked up to the <laughs> ceiling and you could see 
that he was, you know, was in his brain. And then the conversation took a turn, you know, other people were talking about other things and, and I don't know how many minutes passed, one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, I don't know. And I looked back at Mike and he was still in the same position. And I said, you're writing it right now, aren't you? He said, yeah. He said, that's it. So that's what we're doing. It's like Great. Trevor, there's no intervening kind of context. We're writing and drawing this as if you've never read any of the old Greener Pastures books. We're introducing characters and situations as if you, you know, are brand new to the whole idea. But it's Trevor now in his middle age. Uh, he's now a, a high-paid uh, taxation solicitor and the whole concept of him being a ostensibly a, a, a minotaur in a human world nobody else kind of realizes like all of that is going to come to a head now <laughs> all of that stuff is is depression and being in a job he hates and not feeling like he fits in because he's a minotaur and Nobody else understands him, etc. All of this is coming to a head, uh, and there's a lot more as well. I mean, I'm not giving away anything because it's the the opening, you know, half dozen pages of the of the new story. But you know, there's this guy in robes and long flowing hair who walks across the bottom of the ocean and, and drags himself out of the water at Sydney Harbour, and then gets on talk show television and rants and raves for five minutes at the audience about the floods that are about to come. And it's like, what the hell is this all about? That's <laughs> the opening of the, of the new story. So it's, it's all going to come to a head. It's all going to be explained. And so that that's featuring in, in uh, adventure illustrated. Adven adventure yeah. illustrated. Yeah. So adventure illustrated is, is an anthology comic uh, published by cyclone comics, which is the imprint of Gary Challoner. Once again, so Gary is printing two stories in, Adventure Illustrated, his uh, superhero Cyclone Force shenanigans, which is great fun, mm -hmm. includes his characters, the Jackaroo and Flash Domingo and a bunch of other characters. Uh, he's also uh, printing his pulp fiction story, Red Kelso, uh, which has never seen print. It, it was online for a while, but it's never seen print. So he's publishing that, They're the two stories he's publishing. And then sandwiched in the middle uh, is this weird comic about a depressed minotaur um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the idea so basically what you've just told me about greener pastures that's going to be wrapped up in adventure illustrated or are you guys planning on now continuing further or are you waiting to see how it's received are you asking me to to have forward planning zoran that doesn't happen <laughs> who knows well I, who knows the, for, for the foreseeable well, hang future, on hang on hang on we, hang on. we <laughs> You well, didn't you didn't you like do a whole heap of stuff for like comic conventions in the noughts and the early like teens? You know, you ran your own comic book. You know, you, what are you talking about? As if you didn't, as if you don't know forward planning. What do you What do you mean? Forward planning? No. <laughs> Who knows, Soren? I am. We are uh, for the foreseeable future serializing this uh, three hundred or so page graphic novel. Uh, in Adventure Illustrated, that's what <laughs> okay. we're doing. That's right. okay. that's the place to <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, the place. place to get it. Uh, have you guys? Uh, uh, have and you... I'm really. Go on. No, go ahead. Okay. Uh, there you go. <laughs> the Have you thought about um, revisiting the uh, old artwork and the books and collecting them, if you haven't already? Yeah, I, I think about that a lot. Because um, I, I think. <laughs> do, do you Do you want to help me with that? Because there's sure. a lot of work to do. You know what? Sure, there. I do. I do. The, the, this... Come on over and be, be my scanner monkey. 
send them send them to me and I'll and I'll put it all together for oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would really like to 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 collect and publish the early stuff. And I reckon there's three volumes there. I think there's the 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 regular uh, comic collected. Um, there's a bunch of short stories uh, that I think could be a second collection. And then there's, I think, a bunch of, of artwork of, of all sorts of, of, you know, ads that I produced and, and posters and um, the, 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 the posters that, that other people did for me uh, or for us for, for Greener Pastures back in the day. You know, I've got art by uh, Eddie Campbell and Mike Dukovich uh, and uh, Mark Sexton, Chris Wall, Sam Young. Wow. Um, John Horvath, you know. But, you know, there's all these great pinups that were done and all of the other, you know, artwork that was sent in via mail back in the day when you'd have a mail column and people would actually send you stuff in the post. So I reckon there's, there's three volumes worth printing there. And I'm positive that one day we'll get around to it. I don't, I don't know if now is the right time because I don't want people to read that and think, is this what it's on about? Because it's, it's old and I'm embarrassed by the art. The writing is still, <laughs> is still really. I know Mike is is Mike, Michael's already kind of saying he's going to rewrite bits of of what we're working on now because I haven't you know drawn it yet and he's already saying oh, I can I can write better than this now so you know I would make the <laughs> argument I would make the argument that it should it should stay untouched and reproduced absolutely and it should be done it should be done as soon as possible I I made the same argument when I spoke to Mark Sexton a few years ago. And with with John and himself should just get together because I think they said I remember they had a couple of issues that they that never went to print or you or they've lost they've lost the original artwork. But if you know if <laughs> yeah. yeah if if you yeah, no, no, I understand I know I what you're that. talking about there yeah yeah right yeah. and so so the, the for me it was like well fuck just you know it's as, <laughs> as if as if he can't draw those you know just redraw them like you know he you're a big time <laughs> artist now. You're getting paid to do all sorts of stuff for Marvel in the States and shit. It's like, just fucking, just redraw those, redraw those issues and whack it in a book, collect it. You know, you guys could do the same thing. You just, I, and, and I actually think it's important that these comics from that era are actually put together, collected and, and actually released because they effectively stand as, as works of history, effectively. And it's like this is part of Australian comics history, and if and if uh, you know some people might have issues here or there, they might be crumpled. But putting it together where it, where it can actually be sold and put in libraries, and I think that's what's that's that's what I'm trying to get at is having them available yeah. to people mm. uh, in a in a format that these days is actually quite common. And you know it, it's it's I get it. It's easy to look back on it and go, oh, I could do better. Oh, God, I don't know about that one. And, you know, I get that. I, I I listen back when I'm editing and I'm already upset at the stuff that I said <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> but it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's, I actually think it's important that these things exist, whether it's on their shelf or in a library, so people can see this stuff. You know, it's like, where do you get mm. greener pastures now? Well, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, but let me tell you, you can, you can get greener pastures right now from my web store. <laughs> I've still got boxes of them. Uh, a lot of them are. <laughs> Do you have all the issues? Are, um, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, a lot of them are, are, are in poor condition because they're newsagent returns. Uh, right. So back in the day, um, 
the way that we paid for the print run was it was sold in news agents across the country um and we would ask for a whole bunch of the unsold comics to be returned to us so that we could continue selling them and also because I, it just it was upsetting that they would just be turned into landfill rather recycle them in some way so um so yeah we were picking up a bunch of returns so for some of the issues that's all that's left but for now there's still all of the issues are available so if you go to owner indie slash tim McEwen, yeah they're all there <laughs> thank great. you again for this opportunity you're very welcome <laughs> <laughs> you know what my my son did for me for christmas for it, it it almost brought tears to my eyes he 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 said to me like a few weeks ago have you got have you got a whole run that you can lend to me i'd i'd like to lend it to my girlfriend to read i said sure here you go and what he was really doing was he needed a whole set so that he could uh, turn it into a hardcover book for me so ah. he hand bound a hardcover um volume of of all of the old greener pastures in, in one See? slab to give to me uh, uh, for christmas the, the work's already done looking well, when we were looking through what he made, this hardcover book, which is really beautiful, the, the conversation did come up. Maybe we, he, he said he would personally like to get a few of them slabbed um, so that he can uh, just, just almost for laughs, if it wasn't so expensive, get something slabbed. Uh, you know, he would do it for laughs, but uh, I don't think there's any good reason to get them slabbed. Well, let, um, let's, so no. let's, let's be honest, Tim. I mean, you know, if you if you actually look into all that CGC business, I mean, it, they're just a bunch of shysters who have now become, who have basically just become this uh, authority, but they have no authority at all. And people, and it's and it's yeah. one of those weird things that, you know, the whole comic buying community, particularly the collectors, have just had handed them this authority, but they just they you know who are they? They're nobodies. Like, you know, it, right. it's this, it's this self-made or yeah, it's this yeah. strange phenomenon that only exists in, in collector's markets where someone just turns and goes, well, well, if you, it's got to be perfect and it's got to be in this plastic, it's got to be sealed and I will give it the number that I think it deserves. And you just kind of go, really? Like, come on. So that's, <laughs> yeah. the, but that, you know, that's a, that's a whole another issue or another. Yeah. Another well, episode. we're not buying into it. No. We God, here no. in the pastures are not buying into it. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I think that's great that you, you you're starting to read you, you're revisiting and um, and I do hope that you guys actually put it into your own book. I I imagine that it wouldn't be that hard to kind of set up a Kickstarter for uh, you know at least for for six issues to to get put together. Yeah, well we'll we'll think about it. At the moment, really, in all seriousness, the priority is to is to look at the future and to to do the new stuff and mm -hmm. and make that happen that's definitely the the bigger priority right now not to worry so much about the past i, I was going to ask you about about how you felt about uh, your old artwork and and how you feel about your artwork now but i think i think i got the answer to that <laughs> but I w what i will ask you is have you transitioned uh particularly with this new stuff have you as, a, as an artist have you transitioned to digital are you still doing pen and paper oh no it's still pen and paper it's still old school have you have you um, thought about going digital? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, but I'm not going to. Uh, while we've been chatting, I've actually just made something on uh, my little Wacom here um, to doodle away at. Doesn't matter if I'm not thinking about it too much because it's digital and fix it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, so I've just been doing a little bit of doodling, nothing really important. 
and it, I'm just looking at it going, it's, it's different and it's not the same and it's, I don't like it as much and it feels different. So I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do my, my proper inverted commas, proper comic work uh, digitally. I just, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look the same, but that's not happening. The little living that I do, uh, I make by t uh, teaching animation students how to draw. And I talk to them about digital versus traditional. And mm -hmm. I, I bring in traditional artwork and I bring in uh, my brushes and my dip pens and et cetera and so forth, which is, uh, is, is great fun to spend that day doing that. But I talk about the fact that when I do storyboards, uh, so I've done storyboards for animation, I, I do that digitally. And it's a really weird switch in my head that just clicks over. Uh, am I doing this commercial work? Uh, let's just sit at the Wacom and do that because it's copying and pasting and reproducing uh, uh, aspects over and over and over again uh, and, and being able to resize things and, and move things around. And you're going to be uh, probably told to make a lot of corrections um, or maybe not a lot, but some corrections uh, which are easier to do when uh, it's digital. Um, so, uh, like that's why you work digitally because it's so quick and easy to, to do all of that kind of stuff. But as soon as I sit down to do again in the commas, my comic work, like my brain goes, what are you doing at the Wacom tablet? That's not how this is done. Yes, I just can't yeah. do it. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. My thumbnails, everything I sit down with paper and pencil and, um, and that, that's how that's done. Um, and I've kind of, I, I, I do marvel at, at watching digital artists like on YouTube, um, where they draw the same line five times, you know, to, to try to get the exact right line and they draw it and command set, draw it, command set, draw it, command set, you know, five, six, seven times. And then they move on to the next line and go, why, why is it that when I'm sitting at a piece of paper, I, I just go, well, there's the line. <laughs> I just keep on moving on. And I don't, I don't reconsider it ever at all, unless it's really kind of something's gone terribly awry. Mm -hmm. And, and yet when I am sitting, like every so often I'll, I'll, I'll find a cool piece of, of um, like a cool image of, of some pencils that someone's done and I'll just bring it up in Photoshop and, and ink over the top of it for, for fun and, and for educational purposes. And, and even then I'm kind of going, nah, come on, Zed. I'm going, why, why do I do that now when I'm inking on paper? I don't. It's, it's a really strange thing. I don't know whether it's a confidence or a, or a uh, attitude of being gung ho, and it's like, well, it's done now. Am I going to redraw the, like, am I going to white out that whole thing so that I can get it better now that I can't even see the pencils underneath? And you know, how is this going to work? So, for me, I, I, I feel like maybe it's quicker to, to do it on paper sometimes because I'm not second guessing, I'm not redoing, I'm just I'm penciling and then I'm inking and then it's on to the next page. I think it's got something to do with the the opportunity. Because when when you're yeah. you know when you're doing uh, when you when you're drawing on on paper you know it's a lot more effort to erase to redraw to erase redraw whereas because you have the opportunity you do it it's the same reason why you know I, I don't know how many people out there listening uh, remember you know taking photos with film versus now what you can do with your phone <laughs> yeah exactly you know, the, the difference is got a roller 24 and you're going to make sure that that photo works you're going to take one you might take two but generally you're only going to take one now in the yeah. digital era uh, on my phone i'm taking burst shots i can do 24 in a second you know 
it gives me the opportunity. Like I have the freedom to then look at all those 24 shots and go, hmm, I really like number 10 and I really like number 18. Versus with a film going, taking the shot and going, well, I hope that works out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's right. And I won't know for weeks. <laughs> right. And so that I think I think that's what it comes. It's just you now have the ability to do that. And, and a lot of artists who work digitally do and, and they've just become accustomed to it. It's like, well, this is handy because now I can just, I can do it and I can do it 10, 15, 20, 30 times if I want. Yeah. Jury's out whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it, may, it may not even come down to good or bad. I think it's just the opportunities there. So people are using it and it's, you know, it's become so ingrained in, in computer usage in, in irrespective of what you're using, you know. It's like the amount of times I use programs, different programs, I'm controlling controlling Z all the time or, you know, controlling Z for yeah. all our American listeners. But, um, <laughs> and, and I imagine in, when you're doing stuff for, for, for storyboarding, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff can be easily manipulated and duplicated because if you've got a scene that's running, you know, why bust your chops redrawing? If you were doing, you know. Oh, totally. You know, if you were doing it 20 years ago, man, you'd have, you'd have to redraw everything. Whereas now you just cut paste, whack, whack, whack. You know, I've seen, yeah, I've exactly. seen, you know, indie comic creators using, using programs like illustrative programs or 3D programs to help set up an image reference for their comic. You know, they take the photo, they put it in, they yeah. render it in a 3D kind of scenario and then they draw it. And yeah. You just go, yeah. look at that. It just makes, you know, there are so many tools available now for, for artists in particular that, is that it, I don't that I don't use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, that I don't avail myself of. But it's not for to everybody. Make my right? life easier. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, it's just a, uh, I suppose, a scale of econ- economy, really. If you're, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's probably why most commercial artists now have all gone digital because it's just so much quicker and so much easier. Yeah, can be. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, depending on what you're trying to achieve. So I'm, I'm, what I'm doing, what. While, what I've been doing while I'm chatting with you is I've just got a piece of pencil artwork and I'm just inking over the top of it uh, digitally. And it's completely different, completely different to what it, the inks would look like if, if I was doing it on my drawing board. And it's not because it's a brush versus a stylus. It's because when I sit at the drawing board, unconsciously, I'm seeing the entire page. While here on my Wacom, I'm only seeing what I've zoomed into. And then when I zoom back out, I go, it's not relating. The bits are not relating to each other. Right. The line weights are not relating properly. And uh, I know there are ways around that, but it, I think that would mean me buying one of those huge Wacoms <laughs> yeah. that cost, I don't know, how many thousands of dollars. I'm not doing that. And even then, I, I'm not sure that it would solve that problem so I, I, i've in, in some in some instances i think it's it's actually quite kind of hard you know to, to see the difference but there are there are many examples just in you know particularly in the commercial industry in the u.s you can tell the difference between the lines uh of of a digital you know digital line versus uh, a, a hand penned you know hand inked line particularly if you've if you've seen an artist go from traditional to digital in, and I think it's the, the precision of the line of the, the digital line is what I think kind of freaks my mind out a little bit. Uh, you know, for years, like many people out there reading hand inked artwork in comics and now seeing all this digital stuff, the line, the line weights are different. And so the, my mind, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't feel as organic. It feels very clean. Yeah. Yeah. 
the, the term, which I don't really like the term, but the term is the quality of the line. And they don't mean quality as in good versus bad. But, <laughs> you know, the, the state, the state of the line, the way that the line looks and feels. Yeah. I can usually tell the difference. I usually don't like the digital version versus the, the, the organic version. Plus I like the fact that I've got original art and that it is hanging on my wall and that it's, it's real. I kind of, I say to myself, yeah, but if you, if you wanted to move that eye a little bit to the left, you would have to erase it and, and hope that you get it as right the second time as you did the first time, just a little bit over to the left. <laughs> so maybe keep that and just fix it after you've scanned it in. And even that I won't do. Like I'm, I'm not fixing stuff in post. It's you scan what's on the page and then that's what we, what we print. So yeah, right. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, no, no I, I completely understand. And, and as a matter, and it's not like I'm going to sell the pages because I don't. I've never sold any original greener pastures pages. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like I'm going. Oh, I need artwork to sell. That's not what's happening here either. So, but I must yeah. say that that's one of the best things that come out of comics as a byproduct of comics is the original art and seeing. Yeah. I, I'll never forget the first time I saw an original art piece of art, and it was it was uh, it was a Batman. It was a Batman page um, many, many years ago. And having a close-up look and just seeing the mistakes and the whiteout and the yes. and, uh, you know, the smudges and, and all that stuff. And it's just, you know, I would take that, and I've said this to many people, I would take that over seeing, you know, the Mona Lisa or, you know, um, yeah. in, in, you know, any of the great works. You know, it's like, ah, whatever, Van Gogh, Starry Night, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, but show me, show me, uh, you know, show me, uh, a Jim, a Jim Lee or, a, or, a, um, Scott Williams in Jim Lee page, you know, bare with, you know, no color on it. And yeah. I, I would look at it forever and just stare at it and just, you know, put my oily mitts on it and just check it out and, you know. Yeah. They're amazing. And, yeah, it they're is. Amazing. It is, man. And, you know, even so, and some of the older ones where they would just cut and paste bits and. You just I was I was just thinking again of, of Will Eisner. I've got one of the Will Eisner Spirit um, artist editions, and it's just uh, the the punishment that the that the original <laughs> art underwent uh, is incredible. Yeah. Uh, redrawing and pasting over, and like you say, they they cut whole parts out and stick bits over the top, and yeah, it's yeah. And, and as a, it is a wonder that look at, yeah, because as a reader, you don't even think about that kind of stuff. And, you know, whenever going, well, how would they have drawn that? Well, he must've spent years going over that same thing to make sure it was right. And then, and then seeing, uh, seeing a, a piece of original art where there's white out everywhere and there's markings and there's places where the pen's gone too hard and, you know, where the paintbrush has gone over the edge and there's, you know, it's like, oh, screwed that up. So they've just put an, an entire new piece of paper on top yeah. and you just go, yeah. why haven't I thought of that for years? Whenever I've tried to draw something, I've gone right through the paper trying to fix it when I should have just put another yeah. piece of paper on top. You know, yep. it's just, yep. it's, it's remarkable to see the work. Yeah. And that's because then it was thought of as a commercial exercise. And it, but there's this whole commercial aspect of it, like you said, like we've, we've brought up that term a few times now. So, so, you know, when you, when you said, you know, you saw that original part um, piece of art from a Batman comic um, and you were looking at all of the corrections, etc. that's because it was a commercial art. And um, I, I know historically it's like an incredible shame that 
that Marvel and DC were just burning page yeah. after page of original art. Um, but it was because it was just commercial art. It was like drawing, you know, a pair of shoes for a shoe ad in the in the newspaper. It was like it doesn't matter. It's it's the final uh, printed object, mm-hmm. which is what we're making here and everything else that goes into it up until that point is disposable so they they were using commercial illustration sensibilities where we will just cut and paste you know as needs be so that the final object will look the way that we want it to Mm. and even the artists really to, to the most part really that that is the way that they thought about it too until it started to look like maybe there's some uh some value in this in reselling it collectors are starting to want to um buy artwork you know it, it's it's actually a you know becoming a bit of a thing and at that point people are saying why why am i letting the publisher keep it and more to to the point why am i letting them destroy it um or or have other people who work at the publisher uh, go home with it <laughs> when really I could be selling it twice. So really cool. Really cool. Well, I think, uh, I think you should, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've actually got all your, all the original pages. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to scan them all. Eventually we will scan them all. Eventually. I, I, my but office stands, we'll think about republishing. My, my office stands, <laughs> you send them down here flat in a nice box, padded, send them down and, uh, I'll work it all out. All right, all right. We'll we'll talk after. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of time. I'm in no rush, and uh, okay. you, you know you've got you've got plenty of stuff to deal with anyway. Um, you know, Adventure Illustrated. Yeah. Uh, do you think that we could have a commercial industry as such, not necessarily the same as what we have in they have in the states, but a commercial industry of comics here in Australia? Do, do I think that we could? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. Do, you think it, do I think it's possible? Yeah. Well, here's the cop out. All things are possible. Oh, I fucking knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's probable. Um, I think, I mean, to, what what would need to be done to make it possible would require quite a financial investment um it would require uh, i think we've got the creativity i think we've got the quality i think we've got the quantity i think it could all happen uh it's it's getting it produced pub as in published get, getting the physical objects produced uh, and then getting them into enough hands that it makes uh, you know enough sales and enough money that the artists the creatives and the support system the publishers the editors uh, etc would be able to also um, make a, a proper living out of it. That, uh, so I think that's the big issue. Uh, I, I think it's as possible as any independent publisher in any part of the world, right? That, that I'm, I'm a bit of a believer in, in the whole, you know, uh, global playing field and level playing field across the globe. We have as much chance of, of creating something that is, and I don't, can't remember if you use the word industry or not, but you know, it, we have as much chance of having a, a, a viable commercial product here as we as they do in America or England. So yeah, it's possible, but it, it's difficult, just as it is for them. So a little bit less of a cop out. I, I I tend to agree. I and I've spoken, having having asked that, 
of many people. I've I've gotten varied an- answers, but they all kind of stick to the one to the one narrative, which is yeah, probably, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> which which I, I you know and I often argue that you know and and you know with the full hope that someone out there uh, is willing to to kind of push it along, and that is you know if we can create the demand then we can start putting you know australian centric stories out there which i think is number is first and foremost the most important part of having a mm, comics industry mm. in, in australia it doesn't necessarily have to be commercial but commercial in the sense that it's it's a viable it's a viable run business enterprise organization whatever that is publishing uh on mass on a regular basis stories from australian writers stories by australian artists and you know making that a thing you know because then Mm. it becomes incredibly easy to promote so many things about australia in other lands in in other in other countries and it's a good way for for the world to experience australia as well I, i i truly believe that you know a commercial industry as such for comics in Australia will will just make it better for everybody. Like it, it'll be, there are so many different aspects that can be brought out using this, uh, using a, a commercial industry for comics in Australia that you know, it benefits everybody. Like everybody, Australian kids. Um, you can have you can have indigenous stories, you know, and indigenous writers, indigenous you know, indigenous communities creating their own, you know. But someone needs to publish this stuff. And yeah, um, exactly. You know, the, the immigrant stories that you read, uh, you know, in some of these web comics and, and, and stuff like that, it's just amazing. It's like, imagine someone went up to that cat and said, you know what, I'm going to give you this much money. I want you to print it. Uh, you've got all the rights and stuff, but, but we, you know, this needs to be, this needs to go out on a, on a broader scale in a l- nice, beautiful book. I just, you know, it, I'm, I'm all for, you know, consuming your comics however you want, but I still think that, you know, having that book is, it's never going to go away. And, you know, the independents always draw on, you know, that, that, that tangible essence of a comic book. You know, you, you need that as an, as an indie creator because, you know, a lot of things get lost on the internet. But when you put a book in front of somebody, that's, you know, you may as well be slapping them in the face. You know, they take, they take <laughs> notice. Right. So, and, and I continually say this, and I say this every time to everyone that I speak to, in the hope that one day someone's going to listen to this show and go, you know what? I'm going to start pumping money into publishing Australian comic books uh, because it's the flowing effect. I, you know, I, I look at what happens in the States and you've got, you've got crew, you've got these behemoths that are owned by, you know, faceless corporations, but they're still churning stuff out and whether they, you know, whether they chew up all the artists and writers and spit them back out you know, the ones that aren't disturbed by that process will go on to create other things and or people go, well, I don't really want to work for them, but I really want to do this. So they create their own comics and then they, they sell it to Image or, you know, they produce it themselves. And I just think, you know, w- somehow we need to create that ecosystem. I would prefer it happen in my lifetime here in Australia, but, you know, it just seems that it's, you know, it's, it's you know, people are creating, they're doing stuff, but, you know, I just... I would like for it to be a lot bigger. That's my, yeah. My where 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 is the uh, multi-millionaire uh, patron of of uh, the Australian comics art form? That's what we're after, I, I right? Gotta, I got to tell you, we need. There's got to be someone out there who's willing to throw money at it. There's got to be, like you know, 
Do we, you know, even if they we need, they, they need pretty deep pockets. Even if, even if we, uh, I don't know, what could we do? Do we do we need to take uh, the devil's money to do God's work as such? <laughs> do we do we need to look at mining corporations and get their money and create comics? Like, how do we do it? Yeah. If yeah. anyone if anyone out there has got an idea, please uh, please send me an email. That is <laughs> that's good. <laughs> You know, because if anyone's got those deep pockets, please send him an email. <laughs> yeah, send me an email because uh, I would I would love to get it started. You know that that with how how awesome would that be? Just go hey yeah yeah absolutely know, pitch me an idea, put something together, let's try it. You know, I would love to be in that position, just to sit there and you know print fucking everything. <laughs> Keep on buying those lotto tickets. <laughs> I guess that's that's what it's going to come down to, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, Tim, thank you very much for another lovely chat. And uh It's been a ball. Oh man. You know, it's 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 actually really, really cool. It's really cool. And and like the last time we spoke, I didn't realise that you had done um the uh you had you, I didn't realise you had done the storyboarding for, for Happy Feet. And it was it was much like when I was talking to Mark Sexton and then he just and for some reason I always thought he was a comic guy and then he dropped dropped in conversation that he was uh he was a storyboard artist and then he was working on black panther um yeah. when it was short <laughs> shortly before and I, ha- I wasn't allowed to tell anyone about it because oh you know you might hear about something about you know a, a, a you know a panther or something like that. i can't remember how he Do you remember going, are you fucking kidding me and so and i can't tell anyone yeah yeah, yeah so that well, they're just of... about to shoot um or well, they're just starting to shoot thor in sydney the new thor and he boarded that i think he was he might be the only board artist on the entire movie, which is a pretty big deal. That's huge. Um, yeah. If not the, the only one, I think he was the main one. Yeah, right. right. Um, so, yeah. yeah. He's the one who got me the, the job on Happy Feet 2. No shit. Um, oh, that's actually, right. Because yeah. he was working with oh, Miller on um, on Furiosa, on uh, what's it called? The Road Warrior. Yeah. Fury Road. Yeah. So, you, yeah, I think you're getting the timelines mixed up a bit. But, yeah, he... Um, Possibly. <laughs> he was working... Like he started with Miller on Babe, um, and you know I can't remember all the details after that. But uh, he, he was working on Happy Feet one, uh, and I worked on that for like two weeks, and then I had to go and get a real job because they were paying abysmally. This that's the ironic thing about working on uh, Happy Feet two versus Happy Feet one was like I, I couldn't work there because they were paying me so poorly, mm. um, and then. Uh, so I, I worked on that for two weeks. I don't even bother telling people uh, I did so little work on it. But then um, when Happy Feet 2 came along, it was another good opportunity and they were paying really well. So, um, yeah, he got me the, he got me the, both those pieces of work. Or he, he, got, he lined up the interviews, uh, which then my portfolio, which basically was Greener Pastures, got me the work because they were, you know, after somebody who could tell a story visually and knew how to draw uh, in a three-dimensional space, um, and I could do both those things. So, um, yeah. Wow, that's cool. So, yeah. Sweet. Mm, it was cool. Mm. Well, uh, I look forward to my greener pastures turning up in the mail. You know, I'll then have all the artwork, so I can actually just scan the pages in and and make my own graphic novel out of it. <laughs> I print them on my laser printer um, and start selling it uh, to, to to people. But um, I won't do that. That's not cool. Uh, or what I could do is I can sell them for 20 bucks, give you the kickback. And so it's like a, you know, um, how that, what is it? When 
someone creates a piece of art, but then they create their own fakes, so they get money from both sec- both sections. <laughs> you could totally yeah, do right. That. Sounds good. Yeah, cool. Um, it's like Cerebus number one, the, the counterfeit version is is worth it. Like I couldn't buy a copy of the counterfeit Cerebus number one, just like I couldn't buy a copy of the real Cerebus number one either. Are you serious? Did you know that? No, no, no. So when when Cerebus was pretty new still, but was yeah. you know obviously on a really upward project um, projection, and uh, and number one was already worth quite a bit of money. Uh, somebody went and actually did a print run of like a, a few hundred copies counterfeit service number one um, and sold them pretty much sold them out really. Uh, and, uh, and now they're actually worth money as well. <laughs> if, ask, if you ever ask Dave Sim to sign it, he would sign it Frank Frazetta or Neil Adams or something like that. Wow. So it's a counterfeit. But yeah. So yeah, we can do that. Let's, let's um, find new ways to make, new money off old stuff well i remember i even remember like looking in the trade mags in the mid 90s and looking at you know the crow number one and all those indies were like through like you not only could you not find them but they were like worth hundreds of dollars for an indie yeah it was remarkable yeah it was happening yeah how far we've come yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm gonna shut up so that you can shut up so that we can get out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thanks, Tim. Thanks heaps for All your right. time for being so gracious. No worries. I'll speak to you later. See you. Bye. Bye. That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. If you could please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use, it'd be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. Uh, as well as, you know, if you've got billions of dollars that you want to pump into the Australian comics industry, that'd be amazing. Uh, We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your web browser, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. And uh, until next time, enjoy the comics that you read and read the comics you enjoy. Thanks very much. Credits. Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production, Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.